Welcome to another edition of Anthony T's Hard Wrestling Show. I'm Anthony T. In this edition, I have a lot of things to get off my chest as I go to play catch up. First, I'll be talking about my thoughts on the last Scares That Cares weekend as I was at Williamsburg, Virginia for Scares That Care Weekend 8, which was sadly the last one that the Scares That Care organization is going to run as they recently announced after the convention that the Scares That Care Weekend events are no longer. I'll talk about my thoughts on my time there. Then, after that, I will get into my thoughts on SummerSlam 2022. And newsflash, it will not take a whole episode like last year's SummerSlam. So at least we have that. It'll be down to one segment, not a whole episode of me throwing a fit. Because I actually thought this was a much better show than last year's show. But then again, that's setting the bar way low. Because last year's show ended up turning into an entire episode. Thankfully, it's just one segment this year for WWE SummerSlam. And that's a good thing. I'll have all that, plus my thoughts on Scott Dickerson's new film, The Black Phone. Was it the right call to leave Marvel to do this film? I will talk about it. And what's Anthony T. watching? But first, the news. We got some Halloween Ends news. And I have to say, there's a big thank you to... Wait for it. Wait for it. Jason Blum. And Blumhouse Productions for making Halloween Ends free. That's right. Like the last Halloween film, Halloween Ends will end up on Peacock. Day of theatrical release. Recently, Universal and Blumhouse Productions released a video with Jamie Lee Curtis making the announcement that Halloween Ends will end up on both Peacock and theaters the same day, in which Halloween Ends is due to come out on October 14th, which is really one of my most anticipated films of the year. And I am so shocked about this news, seriously. This is shocking news, everyone. I did not expect this to happen, quite frankly. I was literally prepared to go to the theater and see this film. You know, the traditional way. But I keep trying to tell you people, do not throw your films on streaming that quickly. Because if you do, I will not go to the movie theater and see it. I will sit home and watch it in the comfort of my own home because, well, you're giving it to me for basically free. And this is the problem here. Halloween Ends is a film that should have been exclusive to theaters. They made the black phone exclusive to theaters. If anything, the black phone should have been the one that had the peacock in in theaters day of. Not Halloween ends. I don't know what's going on with Universal and with Blumhouse Productions. Is NBC desperate trying to get Peacock subscribers? Because seriously, this is probably a play you don't make if you're having a good streaming service like, say, Paramount Plus. Because you haven't seen Paramount Plus rush Top Gun Maverick to its streaming service. You haven't noticed that yet. They have every other film that's hit theaters this year on its streaming service except Top Gun Maverick. And they're not in any hurry to put Top Gun Maverick on their streaming service. Which tells me that their streaming service is doing good. Peacock, on the other hand, I don't get. Seriously. Is this a ploy to get subscribers to Peacock? Because as a subscriber to Peacock, I don't have any interest to see the movie now in theaters. Because I can see this film in the comfort of my own home. 
quite frankly, movies are supposed to be seen in theaters. But I don't get what's going on with NBC Universal here. I get the way they're structuring their films by waiting until they hit Blu-ray to put it on Peacock, which is fine. But to throw a marquee title like Halloween Ends on Peacock and in theaters on the same day is a little worrisome here to me. Because this tells me this might not be as good as we think this film is going to be. It's just that. Literally. You don't dump a marquee film like this on Peacock. You don't. I just don't get NBC Universal's decision here. I was prepared to go and see this film in the movie theaters like a normal person. As yes, I'm going to start to go see more movies in the theaters. I'm going to see Pearl when it comes out in the theaters. Provided it plays in my area, of course. You always have to put that with A24 because they tend to have limited releases on most of their films. So sometimes films will not play in my area. But to have a marquee title like Halloween Ends be on Peacock and in theaters, I just don't get seriously. At least Screenbox is putting Terrifier 2 in theaters first. Before throwing it onto their streaming service. And I may go see it if it's playing in my area. But then again, knowing my area, it probably won't play in my area. So I'll probably be waiting for it to hit Screenbox in November. But still, if Terrify 2 played at my theater, I'd go and rush and see it. If it played like in a weekly engagement, I'd find the time to see the film, if I can. But, I just don't get what Universal and Blumhouse Productions is doing here by throwing Halloween Ends for free, basically. When you throw something on a streaming service that you pay for, it's basically free to you. And I know you need to have the Peacock Premium tier, which I do have, but still, this is not a good idea. This film should be just exclusive to theaters only. Look at Warner Brothers. All of a sudden, they just pulled Evil Dead Rise off of HBO Max. And now they're going to put that film in theaters next year. Which is pretty much destroying HBO Max. But at least Warner Brothers is recommitting to theaters again. After... The original plan to throw everything onto HBO Max. But still, you can't throw marquee films onto streaming services. Unless you're Netflix, of course. Netflix does whatever they want. But, here's the thing. I was prepared to see Halloween ends in theaters. And now, thank you Jason Blum. Thank you Universal Pictures. I will be seeing... Halloween ends for free on Peacock. Why did you guys have to do it? Because you're not making money that way. You're just trying to get people to subscribe to a streaming service, pay the $10, then cancel next month. That's all that's happening here. They'll subscribe, see the film, cancel. And that's not good. Seriously. If you're Universal Pictures... Because I was prepared to see this one in theaters. And now you just made my decision a whole lot easier. As I will be watching this film for free on Peacock. Thank you Jason Blum. Thank you Universal Pictures. Now moving on to wrestling news. Now you may think of myself as an AEW homer. As I always say AEW is the greatest thing since sliced bread. But I've always told you I will call AEW out when AEW does something wrong. Well, something did happen that needs to be addressed here. Seriously. Because I was not too happy about this at all neither. Literally. 
This happened on the August 17th edition of AEW Dynamite, where CM Punk started the show. Instead of starting the show calling out John Moxley, he decides instead to cut a pipe bomb type promo on Hangman Adam Page, challenging him, wanting him out in the ring immediately. First of all, he's CM Punk's currently in a program with John Moxley, not Hangman Adam Page. Second, this felt very bizarre. I did not know what the hell was going on until after the fact that a couple of days earlier, Hangman Adam Page, in an interview, says, I don't take advice from veterans. I don't know why you would say that. Seriously. I don't take advice from veterans. Because you know, in a locker room like AEW, somebody's going to get pissed off. And it ended up on live television. That's right. When Hangman Adam Page said that, did he not think he was going to not get a response from somebody? Either in an interview or live television? The fact that it happened on live television was shocking, quite frankly. Seriously. I don't know what Puck was trying to achieve with this live shoot going into his business for himself. Was he trying to get Paige to apologize in front of everyone in the arena? My thought on this is, they are both bleeping idiots. Seriously. Hangman Page is an idiot because he pissed on the veterans who came before him. The people like Sting. The people like Dustin Rhodes. Those people. And CM Punk is also a bleeping idiot for going into business for himself. I don't want to see Punk versus Hangman Adam Page unless I'm getting Punk versus Hangman Adam Page. I was expecting Punk Moxley confrontation here. Instead, we got Punk going into business for himself. Then we get Punk versus Moxley confrontation, which probably ran a little over in the first segment. Both of these people are idiots, and now he has divided the whole locker room up. I hope both of those people are proud of themselves. Because, quite frankly, this is not how a wrestling promotion should be run. Do I have confidence it'll work itself out? Yes. I don't think Tony Khan is an idiot. He is not Eric Bischoff or Kevin Sullivan or anybody with ties to WCW. Tony will find some way, I believe, to take charge of this situation. In fact, maybe just sitting the whole roster down for a talk to get everything out in the air. That would probably be a great way to talk about this. Because quite frankly, this has divided the whole locker room. That's not good for a locker room. Especially when WWE is starting to get some momentum for the first time in ages. They need to figure this out. I think they can, because we're not dealing with a multi-billion corporation like Ted Turner, who didn't give a damn about his wrestling promotion. I really think Tony Khan gives a damn about AEW. So he, this will work itself out, because if it implodes, you may see people out of this company. Seriously. That would probably be the only option Stop waving people. I know Tony Khan does not want to wave people. He wants to honor contracts. But if it's going to cause implosion, Tony Khan needs to get rid of people. Seriously. Even it has to mean getting rid of CM Punk, quite frankly. I don't care. Because nobody should be bigger than the company. And quite frankly, they need to ride this storm out, which I think they will. Finally, in wrestling news, on the August 24th edition of AEW Dynamite, they finally unified the world titles. CM Punk and John Moxley 
had a match for the unification of the world titles. Yeah, that happened. Don't mind me, because that match only took three minutes to do. And my reaction was... Yeah, that was my reaction. WTF. Because I don't know why this match had three minutes. Seriously. I don't know what the hell is going on. Seriously. It could be one of three things, in theory, to why Punk versus Moxley only lasted three minutes. First, they played on CM Punk's injury in the match. So, don't know if it's an injury issue. Maybe Punk can't go a full match. And that's why they did the match when they did it. It's better to do the match in Cleveland, Ohio than Chicago, Illinois. Because if this match happened in Chicago, Illinois and it was three minutes, there would have been a riot. Literally. Second theory on why this could have gone three minutes. Punishment for Punk after going off script the previous week. I've already talked about that. There's no need to talk about that again. Third... It could be just an angle to set up another match. Why? I don't know. Because there were some things going around, rumors, that Moxley actually pitched the match to happen in Cleveland, Ohio, to sell more tickets. Plus the fact that Moxley's from the Ohio area. So, maybe that's why they did the match. But I... What do we want at least a 10-minute match at least? 10, 15, 20-minute match. Because they started this match at 9 o'clock. I figured we were getting 20, 25 minutes with this match. But no, we got 3 minutes. I don't know what's going on. This is odd booking here. I don't get it. And there's already a clip on YouTube in which you can watch the match. In its entirety. And as of 1.37, August 25th, when I'm recording this, on the AEW official YouTube page, this clip has gotten over 1 million views. That's right, 1 million views. I don't know what the attention was for this quick match, but maybe that's another thing to consider to get the promotion talking. You put the match on YouTube and as of 140, it has 1 million views. Not even a full day after the match happened, it got 1 million views. So something tells me this was to get traction. I don't know in a positive way or a negative way, but this is clearly newsworthy because it's already gotten 1 million views and we're not 24 hours since I recorded this segment. I don't know what happens with the main event for All Out. Seriously. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens with the main event at All Out, which happens, by the way... September 4th. I don't know what they were doing, but, well, they've got attention. Don't know if it's good or bad. And with that, that's the news. Welcome to Dark Discussions, your place for the discussion of horror film, fiction, and all that's fantastic. A weekly podcast here. The discussion is about the most recent horror and genre films. Intelligent talk on a genre that deserves intelligence. A conversation between co-hosts discussing not only the film, but also the connotation that the directors and screenwriters are trying to articulate. If you want more than a review, listen to Dark Discussions. 
And speaking of perception, there's just one more scene I want to talk about, which is after Caleb discovers that Kyoto's a robot, Kyoto kind of peels off her skin, showing him what's underneath. Now, wait a minute. I know where you're going with this, but tell me you weren't already thinking this 15 minutes earlier in the film. Exactly what he's thinking at that moment. Which is he's a robot, too. Oh, I considered the possibility. Right, and that's what I like, is the fact that the writers were smart enough to know that this is what the audience would be thinking. We've all seen Blade Runner. <laughs> right, exactly. So, www.darkdiscussions.com Wherever podcasts are found. Every day there's a family struggling with hospital bills to care for their sick child who is fighting an illness. There's a woman who is fighting breast cancer and is having trouble making ends meet while paying for their treatment. And there are burn victims that are going through treatments to heal their deep wounds. There is a charity in the horror community that helps these people. Scares That Care is an organization that helps families deal with the bills for their child. They help women get the treatment they need to fight breast cancer. And they help people who are dealing with severe burns get the help they need to heal. Scares That Care is a 100% volunteer organization and 501c3 nonprofit charity that is dedicated to helping these people in fighting real monsters. To find out more information or to donate to Scares That Care, you can go to www.scaresthatcare.org. Every donation helps Scares That Care fight real monsters. Welcome back. I recently had a chance to go to Scares That Care's weekend Eight over in Williamsburg, Virginia. Now, last episode, I didn't do a review of it because, well, the interview was 50 minutes long. And literally, I really want to have some time to talk about this on my podcast. So I did not do a review or my thoughts on this convention last episode. Plus the fact that I wanted to get an episode out right away. So we're not waiting on a new episode. But... I recently attended this convention in Williamsburg, Virginia that took place July 29th through the 31st. It was my second time going to Williamsburg, Virginia, and it was an interesting time. I had a fun time at this convention. Of course, I went with Philip from Doc Discussions as we drove all the way from New England to Virginia. Thankfully, it was not a 10-hour trip. Like the last time I went to Virginia. Because trust me, that is such a killer, literally. I don't understand how these independent wrestlers can do it. Because I can't do a straight shot from like Providence to Virginia. But anyway, we stopped over at Pennsylvania a couple times. More like literally as like before the convention and after the convention. So it wasn't that big of a drive, which is fun. But once we got to Williamsburg, Virginia, it was a fun time. Got there a little late Friday, but then again, there was like a lot of rain on the way there, which is really pretty much most of the trip, literally, which I won't go into because, well, I'll just ramble on for a couple minutes and I don't want to do that, obviously. But once I got there, I went to the convention almost right away. Was at the Doc Discussions booth from time to time, all masked up. If you saw a person wearing a mask at the booth, wearing my horror-like masks, that was me. Because, well, safety first, as always. But anyway, it was very nice having a booth where you could meet people, because I actually was nice enough to meet some people, which was good. It was always great to meet Michael Darwin, Barrett, from Doc Discussions Podcast. It's always great to see those two there. On the convention floor, I only met, like, three celebrities this time. Usually I would meet maybe more, but this convention seemed like, for me, I had either most of the autographs or I just didn't want to spend a lot on autographs this convention. But I did get to meet Dee Wallace, who was a nice person. She was in a lot of films such as E.T., The Lords of Salem, 
Rob Zombie's Three from Hell. Very nice person that I met, Barbara Hershey. Another nice person from the Insidious films and Darren Aronofsky's Black Swan. Then I met Stephen Williams from Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday. Very nice guy. And then it was meeting the vendors. It's also nice to meet some of the vendors that I have not seen in like literally two years ever since. COVID and everything. I've not seen any of these vendors around. It was nice to see some of the vendors that I met in 2019 there. It was also nice to see the people over at Slasher 15 Productions who did Bloody Summer Camp, which is currently out on VOD and DVD and Blu-ray on the Slasher 15 Productions website. It's also nice to see the crew from The Night Watchmen. As is, if you have not seen that film, you have to see that film. It's very funny. It's a very funny vampire horror comedy. I saw this film back in 2019 at Rhode Island Comic Con. It was really great to see those guys again. As literally, they have a new film out called A Comedy of Horrors of Volume 1, which I will be purchasing shortly once I get things squared away from this convention. I also on Friday got to check out Carnival in and a concert performance by Aurelio Voltaire. It was a fun Friday night. That was definitely fun. Given the fact that Friday was kinda rough getting in. But Saturday was about watching some short films. There were some short films that caught during the Con, including here, there be Tigers, which is based on Stephen King's short story. That was a very creepy film. Very disturbing, too, quite frankly. But that had great direction, and it was a very interesting short film. That kind of surprised me a, a lot. Then I also caught Pox, which is a very twisted animated short film that has old school animation and it had that old school sick and twisted feel to it. The next film that I watched at the film festival was The Last Call, which I was looking forward to actually because it was shot in the New England area. It features an excellent performance by Terry Alexander from from Day of the Dead. And it also features Laurie Carlyle from that same film, too, as she appears very briefly in a voiceover role. Then you had Cyber Bullies, which is just like a short film filled with industrial music, but a very gory one at that. And the next film was The Retailer, which is, I think, the best out of the short films that I watched there at that block, because it had a very dark tone to it very twisted the lead performances in this, that film was very good i like how the film does a very good job focusing on the psychological aspects of the main character plus the fact that that short film has a very good twist ending which really made this a very good short to watch i thought all the shorts that i watched during that block were very good there wasn't a bad one in that bunch, which is always a good thing. I wish I had more time at the film festival portion, but it's between promoting the podcast and doing other things at the convention that really I wish I had more time in that film room, quite frankly. As there were a couple other films I really wanted to watch, but never had the chance to make time to watch. But at least I caught a couple of them, so it was cool to do that. Because I love short films. It's an art form. I like the art form. I know a lot of people don't like short films. I do. It helps create up-and-coming directors. It's a way for them to learn their craft. So I wish I could have stayed and watched more. What a couple of things at the auction, which I will not get into. Then the costume contest, which was a fun one, have to admit, had a good time. It was with Mike and Philip from Doc Discussions. That was fun to be at. I thought Joe did a very good job with his costume this year. If you have not seen the costume, you would not believe it. Seriously, every year he dresses up, 
so he can uh, raise money for the breast cancer survivor. And this one is probably his most outrageous one. I'm talking about Joe Ripple here, the founder of Scares That Care. Words go beyond describing it, but it was kind of fun. I like that he does that because you have to do something to raise awareness about something. That's a great way to raise awareness and help raise money for a good cause. Because, quite frankly, Scares That Kid does a really great job raising money for causes like that, burn victims, and sick children. And that's why I like going to this convention. It feels more like a family-like atmosphere. It's not like your other conventions where you're just there to get an autograph. You actually meet people. You see people you haven't seen in a year. It's just so fun to be at. Sadly, it would be its last year, which I'll get into in a moment. Then Sunday, was there for a couple more hours at the booth. That's why I spent the majority of my time at the booth was Sunday up on the second floor, which I don't mind. Because usually third day, I try not to buy as much. Because literally, I'm always trying to buy that last thing. And sometimes you get caught up spending so much that you lose track and overspend. Which I probably did at this convention. But thankfully, I planned it out in advance in case that happened. I don't recommend overspending at conventions, at vendors, seriously. Because after a while, it just gets... You don't have enough money. It's not fun anymore. It's just too taxing on your finances. Sure, I believe in supporting vendors at these cons. But you also have to look out for your finances. Thankfully, I planned this out well in advance. In case something like this happened. Because literally, I had to pay for literally four nights hotel room. The two nights at Williamsburg and the two nights in Pennsylvania. Which was the other state I stayed in with Philip. So, all in all, I had a great time at Scares That Care Weekend 8. Sadly, a couple days after I recorded this for the first time, there was news that came out that the Scares That Care Weekend is no more. They've decided to not run another convention due to high costs. Which I can understand because the charity has to come first. It was sad to hear that news. It took maybe about 24 hours maybe to get over the news. But once you realize the charity comes first, then you're not as mad. Will I miss going to Williamsburg every year? Yes. But I will continue to support Scares That Care. And I really highly suggest that used people do too. It is a great organization to support as all the money goes to the victims. And it's really going to a great cause. As it's supporting burn victims, breast cancer survivors, and sick children. I really highly recommend you people contribute to this cause for more information on scares that care you can go to scaresthatcare.org every day there's a family struggling with hospital bills to care for their sick child who is fighting an illness there's a woman who is fighting breast cancer and is having trouble making ends meet while paying for their treatment and there are burn victims that are going through treatments to heal their deep wounds There is a charity in the horror community that helps these people. Scares That Care is an organization that helps families deal with the bills for their child. They help women get the treatment they need to fight breast cancer. And they help people who are dealing with severe burns get the help they need to heal. Scares That Care is a 100% volunteer organization and 501c3 nonprofit charity that is dedicated to helping these people in fighting real monsters. To find out more information or to donate to Scares That Care, you can go to www.scaresthatcare.org. Every donation helps Scares That Care 
fight real monsters. Hi, I'm Anthony T. And I'm director Andrew Duran, and we are the Two from Hell. And we're putting Rated R back into podcasting. Every month, we will be dropping an episode on the Doc Discussions Network. We'll be chatting about some of our favorite films, news, reviews, and maybe interviews. You can find Two from Hell on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast providers. And don't forget to like us on Facebook and Instagram at Two From Hell Podcast. Trust me, you're seriously not going to want to miss the show. Welcome back. Last year, I remember this time around last year, I was so infuriated with WWE. After watching probably one of the worst pay-per-views or premium live events ever with last year's SummerSlam, which really caused me to pretty much talk about the entire episode. And I've never talked about a pay-per-view for an entire episode. But that pay-per-view was so horrible, it took an entire episode to talk about. But thankfully, not happening this year. Before I get to my thoughts on WWE SummerSlam 2022, let me quickly run down the results from the pay-per-view. That took place in Nashville, Tennessee on July 30th. The pay-per-view kicked off with Bianca Belair defending the Raw Women's Championship by defeating Becky Lynch. Logan Paul defeated The Miz. Bobby Lashley defended the U.S. Championship by submitting Austin Theory. The Mysterios defeated the Judgment Day of Finn Balor and Damian Priest. Pat McAfee defeated Happy Corbin. The Usos defeated the Street Profits. To retain the undisputed WWE Tag Team Championship, Liv Morgan defeated Ronda Rousey to retain the SmackDown Women's Championship. And in the main event, Roman Reigns defeated Brock Lesnar in a last man standing match for the undisputed WWE Universal Championship. There were some really good matches on this card. You had the Judgment Day versus the Mysterios. The Usos versus the Street Profits, both very fun, entertaining tag matches. But I'll start off with quite possibly my favorite match on this card. It was also the first match on this card. Bianca Belair defending the Raw Women's title against Becky Lynch. This was a very good match, and much better than the other two matches they had. Including the debacle from last year's SummerSlam. Yeah, remember the one that didn't even last a minute? And I was livid. Remember that match where I was completely livid that it only went a minute? But this was really very good. And it literally set the tone for the night. I thought this was the best match on this card. I thought the action in this match was very intense. Both Belair and Lynch work well with each other. Between that and their WrestleMania match, they both have a level of intensity that they bring it every time they wrestle each other. It's You're not going to get a bad match between those two wrestlers at all. There are a lot of great near falls in this match. It made the match entertaining. The match also had a very scary and serious injury as Becky Lynch appeared to separate her shoulder. And it was confirmed the night after Raw that she did separate her shoulder during the match. And probably was working half of the match with a separated shoulder. That is insane. I know it's the first match on the card, but I was surprised that this match even went longer because I think towards the end, I could tell Lynch was somewhat injured because I think one of her arms did not look right to me. And in fact, she did separate her shoulder. She'll be out for multiple months. 
which is bad. Seriously, she's one of the best wrestlers on Monday Night Raw. And to still have a very good match with a separated shoulder is crazy. But they still brought it. There were a lot of near falls, but in the end, Belair hits her finisher to retain the Raw Women's title in a very great match. This was a great way to open the pay-per-view. And if that wasn't enough, the post-match brought out Bailey for the first time in almost a year as she came back off the injury list. But she did not come alone as she came with Dakota Kai, which was a shock. Because Dakota Kai was released from WWE. This had to be a Triple H move. Because Dakota Kai was probably never going to go to the main roster if Vince McMahon was still in charge. Let's face it. So she showed up, and then Elo Shirai showed up. Yes, the last news I heard about her was... She was about ready to head back to Japan because she was never going to be on the main roster. She was going to be stuck in NXT forever and was deciding to just move on from WWE. But both of them got called up to the main roster finally. And Elo Shirai is now going by Elo Sky, which I don't like name changes, but whatever. They tried to confront Bianca Belair, presumably to have a three-on-one attack. Then Becky Lynch got in the ring, and they retreated. But still, that was a great way to open up a pay-per-view, especially a major one like SummerSlam. The next match, which I really liked, was Logan Paul versus The Miz. Yes, Logan Paul versus The Miz. Two people that I despise. Literally, I don't like The Miz, and I don't like Logan Paul. It's just, I don't like these arrogant celebrity-type people, or these arrogant characters. And you had one who was an arrogant celebrity, and one who was playing an arrogant-type character. The only person I liked in that match was Chiapa, who is Miz's bodyguard. That match was surprisingly very good because I thought this was going to fail miserably because this is Logan Paul's second match in WWE and I really thought that this was going to be one of those matches where he's going to suck, quite frankly. I thought it was just luck that the first time he was just very good, but I was very wrong. And I'm glad when I'm very wrong, seriously. Because I want to see great entertainment. Logan Paul seems to be taking this seriously. Which I like. He's not doing this just to be brashy. Or, oh look at me, I'm Logan Paul. But I can't perform a move. Or be boring like almost or Madcap Moss. He's very good. I'm surprised he's really learning fast in this business. And making sure he gets the in-ring work down. Because you need in-ring work down to be successful as a wrestler. Because yes, he signed a contract with WWE. So this is not the last time we are going to see Logan Paul. But at least after this match, I can say he can at least be good to decent. Because he can really perform in the ring. My favorite spot in the match was when Logan Paul hits the Miz with a frog splash through the announcing table. I was, like, shocked when that happened. It's just amazing how far Logan Paul has come from WrestleMania to SummerSlam. He's putting in the time. I'll give him credit. He's not one of those celebs who's just phoning it in. He's putting in the hard work. When you put in the hard work, you usually are rewarded. He performs well in the ring. There's a lot of people I complain about that don't perform in the ring. Like almost Madcap Moss, Randy Orton, who does the same thing every time he wrestles. I think he might be, he might turn out good. You have to see more of him, but it's looking good for Logan Paul. And I'm surprised. I like it when I'm surprised. I don't want anybody to fail. 
But I have to also be critical, too. Because this is a wrestling podcast and I review shows. But Logan Paul, after two matches, has done good. Much better than I thought he would do, quite frankly. And my other favorite match was the main event. The insane last man standing match between Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns. This match was bleeping insane. You have Brock Lesnar driving to the ring with a tractor. That was like the first time I have ever seen a wrestler drive to the ring with a tractor. And don't worry, we're using the tractor in this match, too. This match goes all over the place. Plunder everywhere. Suplexes, Samoa drops through tables... At one point, Lesnar throws Reigns into the dump truck pot of the tractor and tr- dumps him in the ring. And oh, I forgot to mention, he started the match jumping off the tractor onto Reigns too. Forgot about that. But still, the most memorable moment of that match when Roman Reigns gets up from the 10 count, Brock Lesnar decides he's going to use the tractor and he literally lifts the ring with the tractor. That's right. The ring goes way up into the air on the tractor. And that could not even get a 10 count. There was more fighting everywhere. Then Austin Theory at one point comes out, tries to cash in his money in the bank contract to no avail because he never got a chance to even cash it in because he was taken out by Lesnar. You had the Usos try to come and they get suplexed by Lesnar. Then Roman Reigns starts hitting spears on Lesnar. That couldn't keep him down for a 10 count. Then hits Lesnar on two occasions with both championship belts. That couldn't keep Lesnar down for a 10 count. Then the Usos and Reigns decide to just take everything. The commentary table. What's left of it after Lesnar used it on Paul Heyman. As he hit an F5 on Paul Heyman during the match. They used the commentating table. They used the steel step. They used pretty much everything. And to make matters worse, Roman Reigns stands on top of everything to make sure that there is a 10 count. And there was a 10 count that ended that match. That was bleeping insane. Probably one of the wildest last man standing matches I have ever seen. And I've seen quite a few of them. That's probably the wildest. When you use a tractor in a wrestling match. That's just insane. That was the positives. Even though I really enjoyed SummerSlam this year, there were a couple of glaring negatives that I had with this show. First, I did not need two promos in this premium live event. Because you can't say pay-per-view because it's not a pay-per-view. You had the Drew McIntyre promo hyping up Clash at the Castle, which is happening next month. And you also had Matt Riddle cutting a promo, baiting Seth Rollins to get in the ring. We have a quick brawl on that one. And of course, that ended up with Seth Rollins kicking Matt Riddle's ass by hitting the curb stomp on his internet. I thought those segments were like a waste of time. You could have literally had Sheamus versus Drew McIntyre on this pay-per-view or premium live event. Don't get me started on that. I keep saying pay-per-view. I'm going to continue to say pay-per-view because I'm old school. But still, I don't get why we needed two promos in the ring. Actually, one at the entranceway and one in the ring. I don't get it. Why we needed those? Seriously, I know Drew McIntyre is facing the number one contender at the next premium live event. So I don't know why I need to hear a promo of him cutting against his challenger either being Brock Lesnar or Roman Reigns. And I don't get why you need to have a mini brawl between Matt Riddle and Seth Rollins. They could have easily just skipped over that. That would have been nice because, quite frankly, it did nothing. I know you're supposed to continue the feud, but that 
felt like a Monday Night Raw segment, if anything. I just don't get it. Seriously. It just slowed down the show. The next thing I did not like about this pay-per-view was the Liv Morgan versus Ronda Rousey match. I think they made Liv Morgan look very weak. And if you have a champion, they need to look strong. She looked very weak. First, by having a controversial win when she clearly tapped out. Second, she was getting her ass kicked by Ronda Rousey for most of this match. I could have thought Ronda Rousey was the champion by watching this match and not knowing anything about WWE. Because seriously, it's not a good way to treat your champions that way by making them look weak and get steamrolled. And have some fluke win. If you want to build Liv Morgan as a serious champion. She needs to pick up a pinfall victory. And not one of these fluky pinfalls against Ronda Rousey. It's doing her no favors as champion. You might as well just keep the belt on Ronda Rousey. If you're just going to do that. Seriously. Because this is a waste here. If you're trying to build Liv Morgan, she needs a clean win over Ronda Rousey. And not a fluke win or a controversial win. A real win. Not one of those money in the bank wins neither. A real win where she hits her finisher on Ronda Rousey. I got a feeling Ronda Rousey's getting that title back very soon. And that's not a good sign. If you want to build new stars... And I'm led to believe with Triple H, you're going to see a lot of stars get built up. Giving the title back to Ronda Rousey is not a good idea. And it's not building up Liv Morgan, that's for sure. If you're making her championship reign look weak, it's not good for building stars. And it gives me more pessimism on WWE. And I don't want to be pessimistic. Because I really think Triple H will turn the ship around. But if they're going to do these weak finishes with Liv Morgan, what's to say they do this with another up-and-coming star? They need to be built up strong. And Liv Morgan, if you're going to give her a serious title reign, build her up strong or just let her drop the title right then and there. I just did not get that booking of that match at all. It felt so weak. And it did Liv Morgan no favors as champion. Besides that, I thought WWE SummerSlam was a very good show. A lot of good matches, very entertaining. I thought there were some really good tag matches. The Street Profits, The Usos, Judgment Day, The Mysterios, both good matches. Plus your main matches delivered for the most part, which is what you want in a major pay-per-view. Best match on this card was probably Becky Lynch versus... Bianca Belair, as that was great, and the post-match was great, I have to say. But you also had some very good matches in The Miz versus Logan Paul, in the world title match, Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar. Overall, I'd probably give this a 4 out of 5. I don't think it's the best pay-per-view slash premium live event of the year, but probably I would say best WWE show of the year. As this had a lot of really good action, maybe one bad match, and two needless promos. It was a hell of a lot better than last year's SummerSlam, where I had to devote a whole show to. Remember that show? Where I just was so angry, so viciously savaging that show. Thankfully, not this time around. Overall, SummerSlam was a very good show, and I'm hoping it's the start of a new era for WWE. They're coming to get you, Barbara. This is Carrie. This is Billy. This is Mr. Boat. And we are from a podcast from Monique. You can catch us every Wednesday wherever you find your favorite podcasts. You'll find Anthony T's Power and Wrestling Show on these social media platforms. On Facebook, Instagram, and the Slasher app at Amputees Power and Wrestling, and on Twitter at Amputees Power. You'll find new episodes 
on DocDiscussions.com, major podcast providers, and YouTube. What's Anthony T. watching this episode? Well, Anthony T. is watching one of the most talked about horror films of 2022. The Black Phone. Yes, I finally got around to seeing The Black Phone after waiting patiently for this film to come on Peacock. Well, because yours truly didn't see in the first two weeks in theaters... And I have a rule saying if I don't see the film in theaters after the first two weeks, I'll wait to streaming. And that was the case with this film. I'd waited to streaming for this film. So, finally getting a chance to watch the latest film from Scott Dickerson. This is the same Scott Dickerson who directed the last Doctor Strange film and was supposedly going to direct the sequel until there was a falling out with him and Marvel. Instead, we get The Black Phone, which is based on a Joe Hill story. Going into this film, I was kind of very interested in this film because of the fact of Scott Dickerson. Quite frankly, the guy can direct horror. He did it with Sinister. I loved the last Doctor Strange film. So, of course, I'm probably going to see this film. And plus, I wanted to see why Scott Dickerson would walk away from a Marvel film to do something smaller like this. Because, quite frankly, when you have a Marvel film, you try to work out your differences if you can. But apparently, they couldn't work out their differences between Dickerson and Marvel. So, he decided to do one of his smaller films instead. Go back to where he shined. And quite frankly, this was a great film. I really thought The Black Phone is a very creepy and intense film throughout. A lot of this film has to be the credit of Scott Dickerson's direction here. He could have ended up doing Doctor Strange 2, and it probably would have been good, but would not have had the freedom to do what he is capable of doing as a director. And one of the things is direct performances and to make sure the action is so creepy and cringeworthy. One of the things he just does well here is the fact that he makes sure that he directs his cast very well, especially the young actors in the film as it's tough to direct child actors, especially when they're stars of this film. Because even Hawk, as the villain, is the main star, but he's more like the third star in this film. If you look at it from a character perspective, his villain is like the third biggest character in this film. Yeah, he's the villain. Of course, the villain usually is not top billing. Always remember that. The villain is never top billing, unless if it's Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, Leatherface, or someone iconic. This one felt like, the villain here felt like third billing, if you're looking to cast your film. Because that's what I got from the way this story was presented, as it really heavily focused on both kids a lot in this film. You don't see any origin story from this main villain. You don't see any backstory or what this villain is like beforehand. And I think that's a credit to this film because it makes the character very mysterious, which you kind of want in this film because this film is just downright creepy. A lot of the action here is just frightening, literally. There were some scenes were just so disturbing, and it's a credit to the screenplay and to the action. The film also, I think, has a great performance from Ethan Hawke here. Ethan Hawke is just great. 
great. He's just a great actor. And it's amazing that Scott Dickerson's able to get someone on the caliber of Ethan Hawke for a second time as he was in his 2012 film Sinister. Ethan Hawke can do anything and be very good in it. The Black Phone is just proof of that. As this is probably downright one of his best performances in his career. As he's just great in this role. As he really makes sure that this character is very despised. Very villainous. Something you want in a horror villain. It's a great performance. Seriously. It helps drive this film very well. Because you're literally afraid of this guy. It's scared of him. I also like how this film looked as a whole. I like how this film had this really gritty 70s vibe to it. Whether it's the chilling tone it had. Or whether the way the film looked as a whole. It had this gritty like tone. Even though there's not much blood in this film. I felt the gritty tone in it that it really adds to the shock value of this film. The screenplay written by Dickerson and C. Robert Coghill based on Joe Hill's short story of the same name. There's a great job really, I think, balancing the dramatic and supernatural elements of this film. This film moves at a very slow pace, everyone. Yes, we get disturbing scenes that are cringeworthy, but the screenwriters, I think, did a very good job making sure that they kept the action moving. Whether it's making sure that each of the dead children had some sort of a backstory to building up this main villain who gets more and more frightening as this film go comes along. They do a great job building on those aspects as it really helps this film move along a lot. Plus the fact that I think it really gives identity to the victims, which helps move the story along. Because if you did not give any identity to each of the victims and just had random victims haunting the kid throughout the film, then this would have probably been a subpar film. But the writers did a great job in giving them identity because it helps make your villain more hateful and it really also helps move along the story of this film. As you, This film could have been just a bunch of here X-character talking to X-character. Don't go that way. Don't go that way. But no, I like how the writers really were detailed in each of these kids. Some films would just bore you and just like, oh, we'll just have random phone calls. They went into detail. It added to the drama. It added to the supernatural elements of it. And it really added to keeping the movie move at a very good pace. And it also makes your villain... Very more frightening and very more monstrous that he would do things like this. The Black Phone is a very good film. I have to admit, this is just a great film. It is one of the year's best films. And no, it does not unseat X as the top film of 2022 so far. If I have to say, it's probably the third best film of the year so far. Right behind Prey and X. But definitely check out The Black Phone. Great great performance from Ethan Hawke. Great direction from Scott Dickerson. And it's very frightening, very disturbing, and very gritty. For a methodical, psychological horror film. Don't forget you can check out Two From Hell. Also on the Doc Discussions Network. Me and Andrew will be chatting about his upcoming film. The Devils 2. We'll have a couple guests from that film on the next episode, which is slated to drop a little after Labor Day. Plus, we'll also get in a preview of CT Horror Fest, which is coming up September 16th and September 17th in Naugatuck, Connecticut. We'll chat about that upcoming convention. 
And on the next episode of Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling Show, I'll have my review of AEW's All Out 2022. And I'm working on something for the next episode. If you like this podcast, don't forget you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube. You can also like Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling Show at Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling at Facebook, Instagram, and the Slasher app, and Twitter at Anthony T's Horror. With that, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. Have a good day and support indie wrestling and support indie horror.